You are now listening to Red Light Radio, a psychedelic podcast powered by Red Light Holland. Make sure to follow us on our socials at Red Light Holland to get the latest updates. Powered by Red Light Holland. Hello and welcome to the Red Light Radio podcast, episode two. The goal of this podcast is to build a community around psychedelics and to help educate and reduce the stigma around these powerful substances. I'm your host, Wisdom, and today we're going to be talking about psychedelic support structures with our wonderful guests, Chief Innovation and Technology Officer Sarah Hashkiss and Certified Therapist and Microdosing Expert Jeff Hamburg. So hello, welcome. Thank you, Wisdom. Glad to be here. Thank you for thanks for joining us, Jeff. Um, would you be able to share some history about psilocybin and kind of how all of this came to be? Yeah, I could share a little bit. There's yeah. not um, a lot of anecdotal evidence about um, that we've probably been using mushrooms with containing psilocybin for about at least five thousand years, and you still see artifacts of that. Um, there's like a church in Ireland a Catholic church where mushrooms are all over the all over the place. So obviously mushrooms are something that's been very important to us. You see in uh, cave paintings thousands of years ago, also mushrooms. So it seems pretty obvious that that it's part of our tradition of using psychedelics and, and uh, mushrooms. About microdosing, that's um, also something that we've probably been doing for quite a while because there's stories about the indigenous in South America, for instance, would use certain uh, psychedelics in order to go hunting. And as some of you may know, if you take a large dose of psychedelics, you are not going to be able to go out in, in uh, 35 degree heat and go hunting. So obviously they just use a little bit to increase their sensitivity. So it's a pretty long story about our using psychedelics. Wow. I, I didn't know all of that. And it's crazy that it goes back so many years, 5,000, you said? That's, that's pretty wild. At least, yeah, yeah. At least yeah. that we know of, right? <laughs> right, um, yeah, exactly. Jeff, um, I'm curious to know, how did you get involved with Red Light Holland? And maybe you can kind of walk us through your background and, and how you ended up in, in this role. Okay. Um, when I was studying to be a hypnotherapist, I came across Stanislav Grof, actually in a totally different context. And Stanislav Grof, for those of you we're not familiar with him as a Czech psychiatrist. And in the 50s and 60s, he was one of the first people to do LSD therapeutic research. And he accompanied maybe a couple of thousand people in, in psychedelic therapy. And he sort of tried to make a map about what the human psyche does. And he was really um, interested also noticing how being born, the actual act of being born, has many things that are really common to what we call the hero's journey, journey of you know, struggling and then escaping and, and reaching ecstasy, and in other words, being born. So um, I was curious about who this guy, who Stanislav Grof was. So I started reading uh, books about um, LSD therapy and psychedelic therapy. And um, it was just obvious that that was the place I needed to be. And so I started to um, educate myself and taking courses. Actually, I took a couple of um, 
holotropic breathwork classes with Grof himself and started to become a facilitator and worked with an organization also in the Netherlands to do facilitating and started also microdosing and learning about that. Um, so that's about my background. And Sarah is actually uh, is the one that brought me into Red Lake yeah. Holland. I know Jeff from a per personal experience. Could I share the first time I met you in New York? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so I met Jeff uh, in New York with a bunch. Uh, I'm, I'm very close with Jeff's uh, daughter and uh, I met them in New York. Um, and it was the first time um, I hung out with like people that are, uh, you know, my, my dad's generation and they were actually happy and alive. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is like something new. And uh, I think this was like your, your, your ayahuasca friends uh, yeah. group. Um, yeah. and that was, um, yeah, my, my introduction to Jeff and I knew about Jeff's work. Uh, and when, um, we started, when I joined Red Light Holland, um, I really wanted to, you know, build support structures. I wanted to do something that's different than, uh, I'm going to say what drug companies do, you know, where they just give you the substance and a little booklet and okay, good luck. You're, you're on yourself. You're, you're, you're on your own here. Um, I really wanted to provide people with the services, uh, with the community, somebody they could ask questions uh, with technology that would help them create these feedback loops to understand what these substances are doing. Um, and all of Jeff's work that is uh, really focused on mindfulness uh, and on creating these support structures, it just seemed like uh, this is somebody we should really be working with. So th that's how that happened. That that's a great little little story, and it's so it's so crazy because now I feel like the world is so small, and we're all so connected in so many different ways. And I'm happy to be part of this team, and you know, hopefully one of these days I can come visit you in the Netherlands, there, Jeff. You're always <laughs> and, welcome, Lauren. Yeah. And try out some magic truffles. Um, yeah. Jeff, a question that I have for you is what are your thoughts, kind of like your personal beliefs on, you, you know, where the future of psychedelics might go and, you know, the Netherlands progress on psychedelics? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we live in interesting times because psychedelics are coming back into the mainstream again. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that in the 50s and 60s that, um, for instance, in, in Canada, the first protocol went treating alcoholism was LSD therapy. So it was very mainstream. And uh, in the 70s, because of what happened in the po in pol politics, psychedelics were banned and there was a lot of bad press about psychedelics, a lot of misinformation, disinformation about, um, about what these substances can do. And that really set us back. And now science is finally catching up with what we've known for quite a while. So that's really nice. Um, fortunately in the Netherlands, truffles have been legal. It was a nice little loophole in the laws um, because magic mushrooms are not, they're not legal to sell. You can sell, sell grow kits, but you cannot sell them. But truffles you can sell. And um, the things that we're doing of giving them for therapeutic use or for using it for microdosing is legal here. And that's really, really nice. And uh, the community in the Netherlands is also very fine. We have a guild of guides of the people that also um, serve the truffles and do it for therapeutic reasons. And we try to have a, a guidelines 
of what um, what what it means to be a, a a guide of giving the truffles, in order to show that we're really responsible, that we're not you know hacks, we're not just doing anything, we really know what we're doing, and that's on the in one hand that's really important, but on the other hand, I think it's kind of scary because when you start talking to pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies, then you're getting into more of a commercial area. And sometimes I get a little scared. I think, oh my gosh, we don't want pharmaceuticals to get too interested in what we're doing because what we're doing, like what Sarah said, it's a very human thing. We're doing that in 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 our in home spaces, in personal spaces, and it's so important to have people feel safe. You don't want to give them um, uh, psychedelics in a hospital setting, for instance. I think we're. Um, Strassmann wrote about that in his book about DMT, the spirit molecule, that you're in a you're in a sterile hospital. These people are having these amazing spiritual um, um, events, spiritual phenomena are happening to them, and they're in a sterile hospital room. And you know the telephone would ring, or they'll they'll be calling a, emergency doctors, and it's not really the right right setting to do that. So, on the one hand, we're really happy that. Um, that it's legal and we are allowed, allowed to work and do these things. On the other hand, a little scared. Don't let it go to the pharmaceuticals. Don't let it become too med medicinal. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's um, really the philosophy, right, of Red Light Holland is increasing accessibility responsibly. Uh, and that's uh, why, yeah, I feel very aligned to this company goal. And it is true that some people, you know, they, they won't try psychedelics unless they get a prescription from a doctor. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think it's sort of uh, almost our responsibility as people that understand these substances, either from, you know, myself, a neuroscientific perspective or Jeff from a very practical perspective of guiding these types of therapies to inform doctors, to inform the uh, uh, pharmaceutical industry around best practices and really sort of lead by example um, and make sure that this doesn't go uh, down routes that could be um, potentially harmful or potentially even just, you know, um, giving this, especially coming from the U.S. where it's so hard to get uh, decent health insurance and pay for therapies. Um, one of the things uh, that's important is how do we make this uh, in a way that can get to people, that can scale responsibly, uh, make it affordable, uh, and give them, uh, yeah, the, the best guides with the most experience. Part of what we're trying to do, I'll just talk about the iMicrodose app. Because uh, this is legal in the Netherlands and people can use microdosing there, uh, we're hoping that people choose to share their experience with our iMicrodose app. If you go to iMicroApp.com, uh, you can start using this app to track your microdosing, um, as well as uh, join uh, community events and uh, chat and talk to Jeff. Uh, and we're hoping that with this data, we'll be able to inform regulatory, um, you know, uh, uh, governments even that are thinking about how to legalize psychedelics and uh, how to legalize microdosing uh, by getting this data. Uh, we're really hoping we can sort of get the, the industry and the governments to work with us to support accessibility in a responsible way. Um, and, and that's where, I guess, 
the data and the, the component of um, technology comes in, both in educating uh, and also in gathering data and making sense of it. So we can hopefully one day not just say, oh, it's only anecdotal, but we can say, here's actually the amount of data that we gathered. Here's the research that we've done on this, uh, and we're hoping to get there soon. I think that's super interesting too, because I feel like now that you know mushrooms and psilocybin and psychedelics are becoming more mainstream, I feel like we're going to probably have to take a very multidisciplinary approach. You know, Jeff started off with a little bit of the history about psychedelics, but now we're seeing it being used for treatment. But then it's you know sacred to some religions and stuff. So, what are your thoughts, kind of on and even Red Light Holland, you know, taking a recreational kind of approach to this, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, it being a, a multidisciplinary approach as this movement becomes more, more mainstream? I think it ha needs to be multidisciplinary. I think it's very important that you add um, this, the sacred and the recreational to the, the to this whole therapy. That's one of the problems with medicine, with Western medicine at this moment, is that it's very focused on one single thing. It's not, in that sense, holistic. We do sometimes ceremonies that are sort of old-fashioned in the sense of sitting around a fire, taking low doses of psychedelics, and doing rituals. And that idea of forming community, that's something that's so old. It's something that's so important to people. We see, we see that, like with soccer matches, that that's really important to bring people together. But they're also very important things to, to build community. If you um, read um, uh, Maladoma, the, uh, he's a Western, West African uh, shaman. I think he lives actually in California at the moment. That's one of the things he talks about is that we don't have a sense of community and community can really hold that idea of healing. And that's also why we need, um, want to build a community actually with people with microdosing, why the microdosing app is so important so that people can share their experiences. I mean. And that's, yeah, we see that group therapy is, is really important. You don't have to, to call it group therapy. Just, just having a sense of community is really important. Yeah, And that's honestly one of the things that, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to research, the current neuroscience research and clinical trials, we're not seeing uh, almost anything around um, c community healing. There's some very interesting papers that review and look at the ceremonies, but there's no uh, sort of controlled trials around group therapies that I know of, at least. If anybody knows, please please point me in that direction. Yeah, well, um, I think actually synthesis is trying to do that in com in combination with um, people from um, Imperial College. Yeah, that they're um, doing more groups things and trying to do things more in nature. So yeah, hopefully hope that'll start. We might out. get the data soon, yeah, to actually prove this, yeah. and I think that's really important. When you look at what's happening, for instance, in Oregon, uh, where they have passed a legal measure that is going to legalize uh, psychedelic services from the beginning of 2023, and they're still trying to decide exactly who will be the facilitators, who will be able to get access to it. Uh, and it's something that I think is really important uh, to say quite uh, loudly, we want group accessibility. We want to be able to do this uh, in therapeutic and healing settings with people that are close to us, uh, sometimes with people that we might have conflict with. Um, this is the, the power of psychedelics are de-biasing us, right? Um, from a neuroscientist 
perspective, we're taking these biases that were formed when we were very young under specific conditions that weren't always optimal conditions for us. Um, and we're able to destabilize these biases and take in whatever environment we're in at that moment, let that environment reshape us, reshape our beliefs, reshape our connection to ourselves and to others. Uh, and that's why um, I think it's really important to not just focus on self-healing, but also group healing. And one of the coolest papers that I encountered was about uh, Israelis. I'm, I'm an ex-Israeli, and there was a research paper um, around ayahuasca ceremonies of uh, is mixed Israelis yeah. and Palestinians. Yeah, I was actually in tears reading some of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Just uh, reading how people that their whole lives have had a negative bias towards the other language, which, you know, I, I definitely identify with. Uh, unfortunately, when I still hear um, Arabic language, the, the part of my brain, the lizard part of my brain that grew up uh, under the conflict feels afraid. Uh, and being able to address that um, and feel that currently I'm in a much different situation and this language isn't the thing I need to be afraid of. Um, just reading people go through that in ceremonies was really, really touching to me. I also liked, um, I don't know, there was also an art article about MDMA and um, how that is getting more common and that's all becoming legal. And it was really funny because Charlie Vinegar um, mentioned that someday he hopes that will be more common than alcohol. And he pictures, you know, these neighborhood barbecues instead of people drinking alcohol of having MDMA. <laughs> it's really be an amazing way of forming community. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, research we need to do um, around a lot of these substances. And they, they, each of them, you know, the way I think of, of uh, a substance that we put into our body, it's a whole relationship. Uh, and it's a whole relationship uh, with caffeine that we have, with sugar, uh, with our technology, right? With the way we interface with Facebook, uh, we're creating these behavior patterns inside ourselves that have their own agency. They have their own sustainability. Um, and what I really, really uh, appreciate about Jeff's approach is the mindfulness. And maybe you can talk a bit about the mindfulness workshops that you're giving um, and how that um, uh, plays into this whole scope. Okay. Um, well, one of the most important things about microdosing and that isn't talked about a lot is that what do you want to achieve everybody has a different place that they want to go to and you really need to know um not only where you're going but you have to be able to feel that and a lot of people are so disconnected from their bodies and from from who they are because of the trauma that they've gone through and and because of the western world how we how the western world is put together and mindfulness can help you bring come back into your body into the now and realize like oh i have all these thoughts i'm thinking this and this and this and this voice is saying this and this and it's important so that when you start microdosing so that you really understand and know where you're going and what that what that's what those steps that you're taking what they are and mindfulness can really help you um uh, put the place what place what that experience is and not just also, it also is very good for large doses of psilocybin as well, but for especially for microdosing, that a lot of people, um, if they're a very active, very active person, 
and they want to be able to slow down and concentrate and they'll take a little bit too much of uh, psilocybin and they'll just be keeping active but they're not aware of what the psilocybin is doing and mindfulness will help them realize like okay i'm still i'm still as um wound up and and all over the place as i was when i wasn't microdosing and that's why it's very important to say okay take a slower a little bit lower dose maybe lower dose and and three days after each other and it's very important to to be in connection with that because it's a very personal thing microdosing. And i think that's also important right like we cannot give medical advice to people mm-hmm. but we can give them advice on how to feel what's going on inside exactly themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and but speaking of medical advice, um, I was talking to a psychiatrist here and we were talking about the, the similarities between SSRIs, uh, selective um, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are used for antidepressants, which are used for a lot of things, antipsychotics. And I asked him, have you ever tried one of these? And he looked at me and said, tried one? Why would I do that? <laughs> so, so you have actually no idea the feeling of being drunken and dissociated from the world. He said, oh, really? I didn't know that. And this is a psychiatrist who, on, based on medical practices, are, are writing these things, are prescribing these things for, for patients. So, um, yeah, we, we can't give medical advice, but we can help people. It can get contact with their own feelings and, and what they need. And that's, and that's really also part of empowerment as well, which is really good about psychedelics, to, to empower people themselves. I think this is a good kind of tie into, you know, what is set and setting? I know that's such a common term that's thrown around a lot with psychedelics. So I don't know if maybe one of you want to like break that down um, and like why that is so important. Yeah. Well, set and setting uh, is a term that's been used actually since the sixties. I think um, probably um, Timothy Leary was one of the ones that made it more popular, but it was coined by somebody else. Um, so set, set has to do with your mindset when you're taking psychedelics of what what your frame of mind is when you go into it and setting is your surroundings of where you are so um for instance if you're very high strong and you're late for work and he's going to take you take one and a half grams of 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 truffles which is too high for a microdose and you're getting really strung up and you go into the subway and there's all these people around you of course that's going to be a very um difficult experience for you and it's not what you want but if you take the time in the morning and maybe even make a ritual out of it, like just the same way people, some make people make a ritual out of their morning coffee or their morning cigarettes, they'd make a, a ritual out of taking the microdose of, of connecting with the truffles themselves and then taking your time walking to work, for instance, so that it gives you the chance to, to understand what is going on. So that's what set and setting is, is really all about and very, very important and also important in um, all the psychedelic therapies if you're talking about taking large doses of, of psilocybin. Yeah, I'll add again, uh, I talked about it a little bit beforehand, but the, the neuroscience perspective, um, our sudden settings usually, right, and this is based on the a neuroscience framework called predictive coding, uh, which looks at your brain as a prediction machine that combines information coming from your senses, right? It combines the the setting with the top-down biases or priors, uh, your mindset, and constantly doing these calculations to predict whatever is the cause of your environment, but that's always based on your mindset. 
So for instance, if you're in a very uh, a negative mindset because you grew up in scarcity, you didn't have a you know, enough money growing up or enough care, enough love, then constantly the information that you're seeing from the environment will have that lens on it. Um, and it doesn't really, unfortunately, like we can't talk our way through this. <laughs> it's very deeply embedded in us. Uh, and that is the power here of psychedelics that it lets us change the balance between set and setting. So uh, the mindset that we had prior to, to taking psychedelics can then change and we can get this flow of information coming from our environment, coming from the setting that we're in. And that's why it's so important to be in a healthy setting. Uh, when people, you know, they ask me about going to group therapies or shamans, I always tell them, imagine your brain is going to be like a brain of a baby. Who do you want to babysit you? Right. Don't go to a, a ritual or something if it's somebody that you wouldn't want to babysit you, actually, because you are reverting your brain to that baby like state and you want somebody that can provide you this uh, care, this gentleness, this attunement. Um, and I think that's, yeah, uh, uh, again, this balance between set and setting um, is really important. And especially being in a setting that is beneficial to you. Um, it doesn't, it won't help if you're only taking psychedelics or microdosing and you don't actually use that to change your environment. If you don't use that to change your behavior patterns, like Jeff was talking, then you're still going to be, uh, uh, in this environment that isn't necessarily healthy for you. Yeah. Uh, so these substances can help give us a window or a door and shortcuts into understanding what is healthy for us. But eventually it's us that we need to make these behavior changes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's something that always needs to be emphasized that, that you have to do the work. It's not a magic pill. Um, it's something that you have to do the work. You have to understand the process and, and do those things. And really nice metaphor, Sarah. I like that. I'm going to that take that. Be? Yeah, I'm going to use that <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> You're welcome. Do it. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, uh, we even have in the Wisdom VR, we we show people a baby um, mm. and tell them, you know, to think about this. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, uh, part of what I, I love about this company is that we're really putting out a lot of great educational material to people. And as this uh, hopefully does become more accessible in other countries, uh, people can have a better understanding of the substance, uh, of how to make the most out of it and how to utilize it. Yeah, and I think that's really important because in in our way of looking at things, the individual is the one that has the power. It's not, I don't want to be the person that tells anybody, this is how you should do it. I want to be the person that says, helps them understand what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is the data. This is the best scientific models that we know of. This is the practices that we see work or not. But at the end of the day, uh, you're the agent and you're the one doing your own healing. Exactly. Um, and and, you know, there's a there's a I'm going to say like a gentle balance between like ab abandoning people and just which is a lot what what we see in the pharmaceutical industry right now. We're in the psychiatrist 
Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be quite crit- critical. I know I know these uh, pills do help some people, uh, and it's important if you are you know on medication and it's helping you stick with it. We're not saying like don't use this, but uh, for a lot of people, it isn't really helping, um, and their psychiatrists don't really have a, like a deep understanding about what's happening or an empathetic connection. They're just prescribing uh, these substances. Uh, and I think, uh, and I really, really hope that this whole psychedelic industry will just be different. That's the thing we're pushing, pushing forward. Exactly. Um, Jeff, uh, I wanted to ask you, I know Sarah covered this a little bit, but, um, you know, with all the mindfulness that you're kind of working on, what other types of, you know, things are provided in, in these different programs that you, that you run and, and do with, with Red Light Holland? Um, well, I guess mindfulness is the most important, but a lot of things like um, breath work is also important. Um, breath work in all forms, because sometimes just watching your breath for a minute or two can be so relaxing. I read an article about the minimum amount of meditation that needs to be done, and somebody said three breaths. <laughs> so <laughs> you're talking about 15 seconds of your life per day. and so it's really important to have people understand that and but what's also important is that maybe mindfulness is not for everybody and that's fine yeah yoga right exactly um some people like sports um one of the yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) um some people it's it's running some people like to run for for an hour and that will be their mindfulness all kinds of sports all kinds of yoga um all kinds of other Eastern things, uh, Tai Chi. I remember helping somebody after having a major, um, a large psilocybin journey. And he was talking about what his feelings were. And he was making these beautiful gestures. And, and we were talking about how can you anchor that into your life of, of this. And, and I realized it's Tai Chi. He's, he's making Tai Chi movements. So to Tai Chi would be exactly what would he would be needed. It's, and that's what's also like what we're saying. The things that we try to offer are the things that connect to the person themselves so that they're the agents. They're, the, they're doing what they need. Um, actually, one of the things that we we're, want to offer uh, live, which we haven't been able to do because of the uh, COVID restrictions, is to do a workshop. We have somebody that, um, um, Reynilda, who will be helping us um, do art artwork so that you have a group of like eight people and take low doses of psilocybin and and create art and she will help you guide you um in, in making art so there's different many different aspects many ways to to look at that there is no one route there is no one path yeah and the the path that fascinates me right as a te- embodied technologist which uh is how i like to describe what what i'm trying to build is utilizing technology to give us these feedback loops into what's going on into our body. Uh, and that's why, uh, Wisdom, we're turning you into uh, a 3D uh, meditation aid. Um, and uh, you're going to be able to provide us with feedback of our heart rate while we meditate. You're going to uh, allow us to uh, combine uh, someone else's heartbeat together with ours to see to see us glow together and get this deeper connection uh, that we can get uh, using technology. And I think there's so many interesting possibilities. Uh, we're getting 
uh, a question about like uh, more, are there any more plans for VR applications? Um, and I think one of the things to be uh, really aware of that combining VR while taking psychedelics is actually not something that I recommend right now. Uh, I think uh, psychedelics are a very strong intervention for the brain and VR is a very strong intervention for the brain. And combining these two without some serious research, uh, I'm actually uh, worried about. It's not something that I would recommend, especially if people are novices or looking for specific healing. Um, that's a thing that I think uh, uh, you can utilize VR before and after psychedelics. Um, but while being on psychedelics, I think I've seen just a few companies that are like claiming and going into this field. And personally, I think that's a bit irresponsible. Um, and I think it's also important to emphasize that about the legality that we cannot recommend using psychedelics in a place where it's not legal. Of course. And, and actually to repeat that for everybody, we cannot ship our truffles outside of the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, hopefully one day, but currently, of course, we're absolutely within the legal framework. Uh, as for other plans for VR applications, personally, uh, I would really, really love to do uh, more harm reduction and education for other substances as well that we're seeing um, uh, on the markets already becoming legalized or being used recreationally. Uh, I think the, the power of VR is really in uh, education in a fun, interactive way. So that's a thing that I'm really interested in. And uh, we don't have specific plans about uh, making wisdom, uh, the VR experience, um, much more different. We're very much trying to get on the uh, Oculus Store. Hopefully that will happen very soon so people can have access to it, not only on Steam, but also on Oculus, um, which will give it uh, um, a lot more accessibility. And we'll, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, Sarah, I know you were just saying potentially future plans for um, the VR applications, but maybe you can walk us through the current applications and what the current experience is with what's already been developed and what Red Light Holland's doing. So Wisdom VR is an educational experience that uh, explains what psilocybin does to the brain. It allows people to actually hold the molecule, see exactly how it fits into the receptor. Um, we we did a, what I consider really a breakthrough in science education because as a neuroscientist, I didn't have access to that uh, knowledge and that ability to model the 3D receptor and really look how this whole thing fits together uh, along with harm reduction tips um, and a very fun embodied experience where you get to dance. Uh, we create a synesthesia-like experience by combining uh, audio with visuals and uh, that uh, can also help inform people like if this VR experience is, is too much for you, then um, maybe psychedelics might also be too much. You know, we try to mimic some of the experiences um, and, and prep people. So it's more of a preparation session um, than anything. We want people coming into smart shops in the Netherlands, uh, wanting to uh, buy truffles to know what they're getting into um, and sort of have the best experience that they can. 
Nice. Um, a question that I have for for both of you, um, if you can share, you know, have, do you have any like cool stories or favorite stories, maybe Jeff, with um, some of the participants that you maybe worked with, you know, like what, how have those interactions been for you? And you know, what have you gained through this entire experience helping people heal? Um, good question. Um, <laughs> I don't have any battle, battlefield <laughs> stories in that sense. But what, what I've had a couple of times of people come into my practice who have had, um, let's say, difficult LSD journeys or or what happens a lot is that they're with somebody that they shouldn't have chosen for a babysitter uh, with an ayahuasca ceremony. And um, they're really having trouble integrating what that experience is. And it's really nice with hypnotherapy to be able to go back into that experience and to really unwrap it and to understand that that bad experience isn't necessarily, a difficult experience isn't necessarily bad. There's always something that you can learn about these experiences and it's really nice to be able to unfold that what i noticed in my own practice especially with um large uh doses of of, of truffles we're talking about 15 grams i don't um i don't give them huge uh, hero journeys doses um is to see the transformation that people make themselves that they're able to confront their own demons let's say to be able to to understand, hey, I've been having this resistance towards looking deeper into some of the things that's been going on. And suddenly they'll go into a transformation and be able to look at that and to um, see the amazing transformation of what goes on when when people have these experiences. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's probably the most, the most important thing for me. That's also one of the nice things of being able to facilitate these journeys is to just to see these these wonderful faces that have connected with something deeper in themselves for the first time or maybe yeah maybe maybe for the first time probably not the first time but um for the first time in 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 their in their memory at that moment but i really think that when we're in the in mother's womb um a lot of us have had those experiences as well and also being born and and when you're very young but you tend to forget them. And also, well, that's speaking of that, that's also actually one of the nicest things I always like is that when people say that they've achieved that state of being, of letting go of their strategies, that they feel like they've come home to themselves again. It's like remembering who you are. And so I think that's always a beautiful, beautiful way of looking at things. For, for me, one of the uh, coolest experiences was uh, in the group session uh, that Jeff led, just seeing people connect and sharing their experience and uh, having this feeling of support and uh, understanding that they're not alone in this journey um, and trying to improve themselves and facing similar difficulties. Uh, I think that that for me was like, oh, wow, we're, we're doing something that is really uh, going to make an impact in a lot of people's lives. And uh, connecting to that, what you just said is that um, one of the major causes of depression, it seems to be um, isolation and having not that connection with yourself as well. And that's the really nice thing about psychedelics that helps you, uh, can help you connect to yourself and get out of that isolation and, and reduce depression. And that, that's, been, that's been scientifically shown. Um, 
Yeah, um, you can see from a neuroscience perspective here, right? We see uh, on at least large doses of psychedelics, what's called a default mode network, which is sort of the, the self-referential network of what your brain just goes in. Most people who aren't trained, at least in mindfulness and meditation, you know, you give them a few minutes and they immediately go into this task network. Oh, what do I need to do? What did I do? This voice in our head that's narrating um, and we see on psychedelics that this network actually is reduced. Um, the whole system becomes much more fluid and information starts passing between different parts of our brain in a, in a new way. Um, and that's, uh, you, you don't, for me, science is magic. Sometimes people tell me I destroy the magic with science. Um, <laughs> but for me, understanding the science that just deepens the magic more. And to understand the capability that our brain has with its 86 billion neurons, you know, we're more than a galaxy inside of our brain of communication and networking and complexity. Um, and being able to uh, use a substance that, as Jeff was saying, has been around with humanity from uh, the beginning of civilization almost, uh, or, or and in order to, to reshape our relationship uh, with ourselves and with our environment, it, it's a really uh, hopeful position uh, and a very hopeful um, tool that I think uh, and want humans to use responsibly. I have a question for you, Sarah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of science, you're talking about the connections to the brain. Have there ever been any fMRIs made of, of the uh, intestines and the, and the belly? on psychedelics because serotonin is one of the most important it's more serotonin is produced in, in, in your in, yeah. in the stomach than in, in your brain yeah. uh, uh un unfortunately we know very little about uh, how psychedelics affect our gut um and there's been to my knowledge no no research on that and that's v definitely very important uh you know the research on gut, gut bacteria are that they're powerful and they change, right? They really affect our behavior. Um, yeah. And uh, there's like a different time scale a bit. There's this time scale of communication between our gut and our brain that takes longer than just mm. within our brain. Um, and I really hope that as uh, these substances do uh, become more accessible and research becomes more accessible. I, I left academia because it was too hard to get approval for researching these substances um, that we start seeing more research on uh, how this is affecting our our stomach, our gut bacteria. Um, this is and totally theoretically, like I, I don't have any clue, but there's some type of intuition in me that is saying maybe this is a part of microdosing because if you're taking uh, low substances, over uh, an amount of time, is that perhaps changing our gut biome um, in a way that is then conducive to our general health? And I don't know, totally don't, don't take this as a, as a yes, but I am very, very curious to research that. Yeah, intuitively, it feels, feels right. Yeah, that, but that might, you know, it might, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the most we can say. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's. Yeah. Something we, we, we'd love to look into. Yeah. Well, as we're kind of coming near the end of the podcast, um, I'm curious to know um, if there's 
I know Jeff, you mentioned some books and resources, but maybe for people that are just starting to get into psychedelics for the first time or wanting to learn more about it, do you have any recommendations or, or resources where people should go or read? Well, yeah, actually Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind mm -hmm. um, is probably the best because it's really well written and he takes a, a, a very uh, skeptical standpoint. And that's really important because um, I'm sure if I were to say, if I were to, talk about psychedelics, I would be so enthusiastic and so forth. And that doesn't really help your position, but he has a nice distance and and talks about it in a really good way. So I think that's that would be the good starting point. And Sarah, I don't know if you had any um, any resources as well. I know you, uh, you're- <laughs> I have a lot of, there's lectures that I put out there if people want to know more about the neuroscience. Um, if you Google my brain, my name, my brain, <laughs> and, and look for uh, predictive coding, um, there's some lectures that I gave that I'd recommend. Um, and um, there's a lot of um, resources of just anecdotal people talking about their experiences um, uh, on the internet and, and websites that... Uh, I think can be helpful if somebody's considering whether or not uh, they want to try this. Um, and definitely, I, I, I was very, very lucky when I was introduced to these substances to have experienced friends uh, and a support structure around me that let me understand both the research and, uh, the research and have a community uh, around me. Um, I would also, I'm going to plug in a, a peer support line that exists for now only uh, in, the, <laughs> uh, in the US that's called Fireside uh, that people can actually use uh, if they need to do anything from integration therapy to just talk about uh, a past experience or if they're having a difficult trip or if a friend of theirs is having a difficult trip and they don't know what to do. Um, there's a support line that's called Fireside uh, you can look up their number and call or text them. Uh, and I think that's a, a very amazing uh, community approach uh, to allow people to do this uh, in a more safe way. For sure. And and hopefully this podcast with Red Light Radio, this can be another resource for people and, you know, speaking with experts like yourselves. Um, I mean, I'm already learning so much and I'm super grateful for this opportunity. So hopefully we can, you know, keep passing along this information and keep educating people and, and reducing the stigma. Yeah. And and I also like to mention that, that we are very accessible and it's very easy to, if you just even want a 15 minute consult with me uh, on the iMicrodose website. It's very easy to do that. And we're always open for that. All right. Well, it's been so great having both of you um, join us here today as guests. Um, I want to thank everyone who came and listened to the Red Light Radio podcast. I'm your host, Wisdom, and I want you all to stay magical and safe until our next trip to another place. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Radio podcast. Make sure to follow us at Red Light Holland to tune in for our next episode. Until next time, stay safe, but most importantly, stay magical. Powered by Red Light Holland.